0: So the question I have for everybody in the room, what are you doing with the stuff God gave you?
1: Hi, and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. We continue the message, My Stuff Is My Stuff, as part of the series called Christian Atheism. What are we doing with the things God has given us? Do we ultimately trust God to take care of us?
0: There's a part of every pastor that wants to manipulate, coerce, so you'll give more. Not going to work, never does. Guilt never works. Only one thing that can change your attitude toward your stuff. You know what that is? Genuine, authentic conversion. When the Holy Spirit of God gets in you, He'll do all the convicting work the Spirit ever does. Much better than I could do.
1: This is Today with Jeff Vines. And we continue, my stuff
0: is my stuff. Now, Luke 19, Zacchaeus, he's a tax collector. As a matter of fact, he's the chief tax collector. And in verse one of Luke 19, three chapters over from where we just were, so Jesus is still talking about our stuff. He starts at Luke 12, and doesn't finish till the end of Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho, was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, I don't know how many of you know the name Ray Steadman, but he was a famous pastor up around uh, the Bay Area at a church called Peninsula Bible Church, a great man of God. And he used to tell this story, so give credit where credit is due, about a guy who had a guilty conscience after he had filed his tax return. So he wrote a letter to the IRS, and it's a short letter, here's what he said. I have not been able to sleep because last year, when I filled out my tax return, I misrepresented my income. Enclosed is $500, if I still can't sleep, I'll send the rest. <laughs> so Zacchaeus, a tax collector, we all kind of know what that's about, who lives in the high rent district. A couple other things you need to know, he's a traitor to his people. The worst two sins that were often coupled together in the land of Palestine, in first century, were prostitutes and tax collectors. Those were seen to be the worst occupations uh, because tax collectors were seen as collaborators with Rome, Rome was trying to impoverish the land of Israel. And the only way they would do that is take all the money from Israel by taxation and give it to Rome. And so Jewish men would come in and bid on contracts. They would say, well, you know what? And they would would betray their own people because they knew it was lucrative. So Zacchaeus would come in and say, I think I can get $10,000 a month from Jericho. And if he didn't get outbid by another Jewish fellow, the Romans would give him the contract, knowing that if he collected 20, he could keep the 10. Now, Rome knew it was happening, but they didn't care as long as they got their money and the Jewish people knew it was happening and they hated tax collectors, which explains verse three. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree. Now, I thought about this, Zacchaeus is a short man. You know the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, wee little man was he. And so I'm 6'4", and if a wee little man fights through a crowd and wants to get in front of me, I don't mind, because he's not going to obstruct my line of sight at all. But they wouldn't even let him to the front because they hated him, and he climbs a sycamore tree to be able to see who Jesus is. Now, a couple things. Number one, in those days, it wasn't all about human rights, it was about honor and dignity. And a grown man would never, under any circumstances, climb a tree. Understand that. But something else is going on here, Zacchaeus, and the something else is desperation. Because money has become his idol and it's not working for him. Now, remember when we did the marriage seminar and I told you there are some young ladies or some young men that say, God, if I could just have a husband, if I could just have a wife, if I could just marry this guy, if I could just marry this girl, then I know I will be complete and I will have everything I've always wanted and there will never be any more trouble in my life. (laughs) And we said, well, that's when you make another person an idol because only God can give that to you. Well, some people do that with money and that's what Zacchaeus was doing. If I could just make this much money, then I'll have everything I've ever wanted But it wasn't working. Remember what Rockefeller said when they said, how much is enough? Just one more dollar. Now, before I go on, let me just explain. There are still plenty of people in audiences like this, plenty of men and women who are driven by money. And so their security and peace is contingent on how much money's in the bank. You think about that. Think about it. Is your peace in life contingent on how much money you have in the bank? Which one causes you more stress? If I say to you, there is no God, or you don't have enough money in the bank? Some of you who are leaning toward money would say, there's no God. Wow, that's too bad, but I'm good. <laughs> you got it? If you're leaning toward money. Now think about what happens for Zacchaeus here. He's wealthy. He's got all the money, but he's miserable. He still contemplates death. He knows that no matter how much money he has, he cannot prevent death. The, the significance that he thought his money was going to give him, how he'd feel important is not working. This whole void in his life Still there, can't explain it. Then he hears about Jesus coming, and word on the street about Jesus is that Jesus loves all people, is kind to strangers, loves the unlovable, and eats with prostitutes and tax collectors. Now imagine the drama! I love. Don't you love this about Jesus? Jesus coming through town, and all the people around him are respectable religious people, who all feel superior to prostitutes and tax collectors. And Jesus, instead of talking to them, singles out the most notorious sinner in the crowd. And he talks to Zacchaeus. Don't you love that? Come on. Don't you love that about Jesus, really? I mean, that's the kind, I mean, not only does he address him by saying, Zacchaeus, come down out of the tree. Okay, just the fact that Jesus acknowledges the guy is amazing, which is more than what some of us do when somebody walks in here that doesn't smell or look like we think they ought to smell or look. Come on. Come on but not Jesus. And then he goes beyond acknowledgement and says, I'm coming to your house today. We're gonna go spend some time together. Which in the first century, having a meal with somebody, and it does so even today. Intimacy, acceptance, fellowship. Remember what I said? See, for you and me, somebody comes in our church, it's if you behave, if you behave, and if you believe, we'll accept you. See, Jesus is the perfect example of how that doesn't work. He accepts Zacchaeus first, goes to his house, hangs out, And then because he accepts Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus believes. And because he believes, then he's got the power now to behave. That's the right order. And when Zacchaeus sees that Jesus has chosen the least worthy to spend time with him, it changes his whole idea of God. And now for the first time, I think Zacchaeus says, wow, salvation is not based on works because I'm a miserable loser. (laughs) Salvation is coming to my house and it has nothing to do with achievement or performance. Now, are you tracking? Good. Good. Because there's a natural result happening in this story in the same way that it happened in Luke 16. Now, to give you an example, before we close the deal here, do you remember the Lord's Prayer where Jesus teaches them how to pray? And then at the end of the prayer, there's a couple of verses that bothered me for a very long time. Because it appears that salvation is not by grace, but by works. He says, Jesus does, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, then your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So I think, wait a minute, are you telling me that if I don't forgive somebody, then my salvation's taken away? You see, that's a little problem for me. But then you begin to understand the cause and effect teaching of Jesus. He doesn't just dispense information. He gives you difficult issues to, to struggle with, come to conclusion, and there's where the truth lies. Because here's what he's saying. Same thing he's saying in Luke 16. He's saying, show me somebody who's had a genuine conversion experience and I'll show you somebody who has no trouble forgiving others. Now, it doesn't mean they're perfect. It doesn't mean they struggle with it sometimes. But you show me somebody who really gets it, who's had an authentic conversion, and their heart of hearts down deep inside, they know. They know they should be people who forgive. Now, I want you to notice the natural result of cause and effect concerning your stuff and your money that happens with Zacchaeus, verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up, said to the Lord, look, Lord, here." And now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, it's quite impressive. He says, I'm gonna give 50% of my income to the poor. That's far beyond the 10% the Mosaic law required. And then he says, I'm gonna pay back four times what I took. Well, that's 300% interest. That's pretty good. That's 200 more percent than the Old Testament required. And what is Jesus' response to him? Now, stay with me, keep tracking. He says, today salvation has come to this house. Now I want you to notice something. Salvation does not come to Zacchaeus house because he said, I'm going to give 50% to the poor and I'm going to pay back four times what I've taken. No, as a result of salvation already coming to Zacchaeus house, the proof was that Zacchaeus attitude toward his stuff changed. It's the ultimate cause and effect. How did it change? Dr. Tim Keller says this Zacchaeus went from accruing wealth at the expense of people around him to serving others at the expense of his wealth. See where I'm going with this? See, all my life in ministry, there's a part of every pastor that wants to manipulate, coerce, bring a tear to your eye so you'll get more. Not gonna work, never does. Guilt never works. Only one thing that can change your attitude toward your stuff you know what that is? Genuine, authentic conversion. When the Holy Spirit of God gets in you, He'll do all the convicting work the Spirit ever does, much better than I could do. My job is to get you to the cross.
1: Thanks for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. We're finishing the message My Stuff is My Stuff. The only way our attitude towards all that we have will change is with genuine conversion and commitment to Christ.
0: Here's Pastor Jeff with more. Now, I want you to notice something that does not happen in this story. Pastor Jeff, what does not happen in the story? One, two, three. Pastor Jeff, what does not happen in the story? Notice what does not happen. If you read through Luke, here's what happens. In Luke 18, you're gonna come across the story of the rich young ruler and you're gonna say, wow, Jesus said to him, sell everything you have and give to the poor, then come follow me. So do I have to give everything? I mean, is it 100%, Jeff? But then you come to chapter 19 and you read where this tax collector says, I'm going to give 50% of all I have to the poor. So what is it, 100 or 50? And then you read in Luke 11, where this whole conversation really started in the latter part, verse 42, when Jesus said, woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a 10th of your mint, rue, and all kinds of other garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. So which is it, Pastor Jeff? I'm reading Luke, is it 10%? Is it 50%? Is it all of it? Now listen, if you're asking the question, how much do I have to give and be right with God? It shows me that you're still approaching God religiously, only on an intellectual basis, that you're not speaking out of a personal and real relationship with him. Because the person who has genuinely grasped what Jesus has done for them does not ask what must I give, but ask what can I give? Doesn't mean you're always perfect. It's not about percentages. It's not about that word that we said we weren't going to mention. Not about that. It's about your attitude and how you respond to it. I had an elder in New Zealand, Mike Taylor, beautiful man of God, worked for Air New Zealand. He was one of their primary mechanics. He was such a diligent and worker because he believed whatever you do, do it as if you were working for the Lord. So he worked with great diligence. So he kept getting promoted. Now, we forget that that a lot of the things the Bible requests of us, there's a great reaping and sowing that occurs, even on the planet, before we ever get to heaven. But you know what he decided to do? Never change his lifestyle. And every time he got promoted and more money, he gave it to God. He could have bought a bigger and better house. Nope. In fact, he downsized. Could have bought bigger and better cars. Nope. Kept the same old piece of junk he always drove. (laughs) This is a guy who we'd go to play golf and he would walk, not take a cart and then had a little book that write down $15 for a cart because that's what he wanted to do. But he would walk instead and then give the $15 to the work of ministry. Here's a guy that would go out for a coffee. We'd all have one coffee, start the second round. He'd say, no, I'm gonna have one. I enjoyed it. And then take a little black book and write $3 in it. That goes to God. Here's a guy that would not go ever to a movie premiere, ever. Wait till the DVD comes out. we would have family night. DVD and Orville Rambocker popcorn. And he'd save 60 bucks, he'd take his little book right at the end of every month, would give what he was going to spend on himself to God. That is the attitude I'm talking about. Not a number, it's your attitude of what you have and what you do with your stuff. My dad, talk about a godly father, one of the best things he ever did. We were a poor family. I'm telling you, don't tell me that I don't understand what it is to live, at least on the line of poverty. I had four brothers, we lived in one bedroom, two double bunk beds. My dad made very little, we had a garden, we worked in it all summer and that's how we ate in the fall. So don't tell me I don't understand. I've been there, lived that and done that. I'll tell you what my dad did though. Even when we weren't well, he'd take this little envelope and write God's money on it and put it on the mantle of our home. And every Sunday morning on the way out, I'd see him get that envelope. And while all my friends, when McDonald's came to town, when we got our first McDonald's, a lot of people at our church would go out to McDonald's afterwards and me and my three brothers would complain that we couldn't go as well because we wanted to. But my dad wasn't gonna do that. Too expensive to take four boys out to McDonald's. They'd take that money and put it in that envelope. And let me tell you what that did for me, fathers. You think it's money that provides security for your family? You're wrong. Let me tell you what provides security. What my dad did in those little acts of service to God was to show me that there is a purpose bigger than me in this world and that I am not alone And there's something vast that's bigger than I could ever imagine. And the security will come when I play my role in that whole scheme of God redeeming the world to himself. And that gave me the security that I needed and the confidence I needed to go out and find out what God wanted me to do in his world. It's amazing what Zacchaeus says. He says, Lord, look, like a little boy. Look, daddy, look, I get it. I now know that everything belongs to you. All of life is a gift. All of life is grace. I know your heart. Oh, God, I've seen it. Now I want to repeat it. So the question I have for everybody in the room, what are you doing with the stuff God gave you? About a month ago, I wanted a new set of golf irons. And here's how I I said to myself, you deserve it. I haven't had a new set of golf clubs in years. You deserve it. And I got the calculator out. And I started crunching the numbers, man, to see how I could make this work. And see what, li- false, uh, see what things I can tell my wife. I, I don't know how. <laughs> and as I'm doing that, I'm thinking, when is the last time I got a calculator out and I looked at everything I have and figured out a way to give God more? It's not about number. No, it's the attitude of the heart that cannot be manipulated. It's a natural result of cause and effect. When I truly get it and I've gone to the cross my attitude toward my stuff changes and no sermon by any pastor is ever gonna change that. Only God. Well, why are you talking about it then? To remind you, have you been to the cross? Have you been there? Folks, now in this part, see my heart in this for a minute. I'm not gonna lie to you. I'll tell you, I mean, I want us to do great things for God. I see the space that we have around here and what we're trying to do and the... the, 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 the 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 things we could do for the kingdom of God in the San Gabriel Valley. I think of satellite campuses around the valley so that we can have a fully devoted follower of Jesus in every home in this valley. I think of single moms in our ministry to them, how we're not doing enough still, even though we're doing some, there's still so many that are hurting that need our help. I think of CR, Celebrate Recovery throughout the valley. We should have more than just one here. We should have one, I don't know, every five, 10 miles so that anybody who's hurting could find their way to God and know what it means to have the victory through the power of God in your life. I think of what we're doing in Zimbabwe with holistic ministry, digging these wells for these kids so that they can have food and water and have a hope and a future. We have so much, they have so little. I think of what's going on in India. Have you ever seen the map of the world and unreached people groups? Do you know that most of them are in India? For $75 a month, we could pay an Indian preacher to have enough food to survive the things he needs to go and preach the gospel, these guys are willing to go in areas nobody else will go, even if it means that they give their lives. These are things that we ought to be involved in. But the national stats tell us, now listen, this is toward the end. The national stats tell us that the average American, and by the way, we're the rich ones, gives away 1.5%. Unless you're a Christian, it's 25 so Jesus makes a whopping 1% difference in your life. There's something wrong with that. We also know the latest Barner Report that one out of every six people who attend church regularly give nothing, 16%. And I told you in February that our statistics from last year show, and I know you don't like this, 25% of our church gave nothing and another 25% of us gave zero to $100 for the whole year which means 50% of our church last year gave next to nothing or very minimal what was left over. And I want you to see the point one more time of Zacchaeus' story. Greed surrenders to generosity at the point of conversion. Have you been converted? (laughs) That's 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 the question. It's so freeing to know this now to know that it's not about me standing up and trying to manipulate or coerce anybody. It's getting you to the cross because when I get you to the cross, the Holy Spirit will do the rest. So I ask every one of you, where are you? Has your attitude towards your stuff changed? I hope so. Because I hope that this summer we can be the first mega church in America to break the trend that our offerings would actually go up in the summer rather than down. And do you know Why? Because the 50% of our people, now you guys who are tithing and giving, I'm not talking to you right now. You can just be shaking your head. Yep, I know Jeff. And those of you who aren't, if you would just drop your guard for a minute and not be so defensive and actually think for a minute that Pastor Jeff is not actually trying to manipulate me, that he actually does love me and he knows that if I honor God in this area, that God will honor me in ways I've never dreamt, that you'd give me the benefit of the doubt. And my prayer is this summer that the 50% of our people who are giving next to nothing would ask themselves a serious question of where you are with God and why your attitude towards your stuff has not changed. And you say, Pastor Jeff, thanks a lot. I'm in financial disarray right now and you're just heaping up a whole uh, coals of guilt. No, that's not my purpose either. I know some of you are in that position. I know that. So you know what I want you to do? Start praying and start thinking. Start asking God how you can get your finances right to where you can really give what you want to give. See, that's the, the attitude I'm after. It's the attitude I'm after, that God's after. Stop using the 10, 20, 30% rule and do this. Can I position myself to where I can give? Not how much do I have to give to be right with God. If you're still asking that question, you're still religious. But what can I give? God, show me the way and the money that I have to position myself for great levels of generosity. And I'll tell you, God has honored that and he'll speak to you and your life will change. Father, thank you for your love, for your mercy. Thank you for uh, just the way you open our eyes to a guy like Zacchaeus, whose life was totally turned around. Somebody who put all of his hope and security and money changed. And now because you were his God and he had everything he needed in you, it changed the way he looked at his stuff. And I would pray in Jesus' name that we would have had a life-changing experience. And we would start asking the question that is indicative of all who have Jesus who lives in us. How can we use our stuff to glorify your name and expand your kingdom here on this earth? We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name for his glory. Amen.
1: This is Today with Jeff Vines. That's the end of My Stuff Is My Stuff. But next time we'll continue in our Christian Atheism series with a message about not wanting to forgive. Today with Jeff Vines, Just Another Way Vision is connecting faith to your life.